Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Jesus saved another one. I am free. You know? Amen, right? We sang, it's not what you can do, Jesus. I just want you. And I'm praying this morning, y'all got Jesus, okay? Um, that personal relationship with Jesus, not just head knowledge, not just because I read the Bible, not just because I went to church or Sunday school, but when nobody's there and I'm all alone, in the good times, in the bad times, I'm not alone because I've got Jesus and we do everything together. And I just, I think that's so important for us in the days that we are living, as Ralph just said, you know, he's coming soon and praise God he's coming soon because this world needs him. I know some of you probably have seen in the news, Israel, war, wide open war, right? Hamas just lobbing in thousands of missiles. It's so sad, right? Um, there, I'm hearing stories about Americans that have been killed there. Uh, people like from Cambodia, they're, they're visiting there because they're going to the promised land. They're going to tour the promised land. Well, they're in the promised land, courtesy of a rocket from Hamas. This is going on right now as we speak. And, and we look at what the Bible prophesied about what would happen in the last days. We're going to talk about that this morning in the book of Acts in chapter 2. You could be turning there. But something else in the book of Acts in chapter 2 that I, I missed, I have to be honest, for these 30 years now, one of the things that I really didn't pick up until this time through, multiple times Peter addresses the sons of Israel, the Jews, in this message that he's going to share this morning. People who were looking for their Messiah. They were expecting deliverance from the Christ. And here, Jesus helps them see, man, he's the one you just crucified. And today, in Israel and around the world, people looking for What's happening? The, most of Israel, if you ever go there and visit, most of the people there are secular. They're Jew, that's what they would call them, like we call ourselves American, born to Jewish parents, but they have no place for God in their life. And, they don't, and here they are, under attack. And the Bible says so much about what to expect in these last days. But they, how can you walk through what they're doing without Jesus? So again, I pray that this morning you have Jesus. And if you don't, I, I, I pray this morning you'll see him and you'll receive him. Well, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll jump into the scriptures. Lord Jesus, we come to your word, alive, active, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray, Lord, that you would do surgery on our heart, on our soul. Search us and see, is there any wicked way in us? Cleanse us, purify us, we pray, that we could be vessels of light, life, joy, and hope in these dark days. Help us be like Peter. Stand up and share hope. Share you. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that I would decrease as we read, and that, Lord Jesus, you would come alive from the pages of Scripture in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, as you well know, we started into the book of Acts two or three, four weeks ago. <laughs> this is the second, this will be the third message out of chapter two. And I'm just going to start at verse 14. I'm not going to do a recap because that always gets, last, my, last, year, last week, last time, my recap was the whole message. <laughs> I never got out of the recap last time. We talked about gifts of the Holy Spirit the manifestation activity of the Holy Spirit, and it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, promise, a blessing that God's given us. But here we have something that Peter would say is even better than that. 
better than the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, he would say we have the more sure word of prophecy. God has spoken it. We have it. And this is what Peter's going to open up for us today. It says in verse 14, but Peter, but because everybody was accusing them of being drunk, just acting in a way that they didn't understand as they were speaking out the wonderful works of God and people heard it. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Heed my words. He's going to repeat that in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. And in verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly this Jesus. And one of the things as I was going through this and I heard a commentator and, and he said, you know, one of the problems we have in the world today are pastors that don't preach the word. They don't get up in the pulpit and say, listen, this is the word of God. Listen, God is talking this morning. This isn't just some cute sermon to occupy your fun Sunday morning till you go get a coffee and have some cookies with your friends. This is God. And we should listen up. Peter standing up just recently and <laughs> he had wimped out. He was that wimpy preacher three times denying Christ. But something has changed since that time. The Holy Ghost has been poured upon Peter, upon the whole church, upon everyone who confesses Jesus as Lord. And now in the power, the dunamis, Peter will preach. Beginning here, the first sermon given besides Jesus to the church. And this is a model sermon. It's a classic outline of a sermon. And in this, it covers the ruin of mankind, the redemption of mankind, and the regeneration. These three points. It's not the only time Peter would preach on this. In fact, if you go to chapter 13, we'll get there someday in the book of Acts. When he's in Antioch, Pisidia, he preaches a similar very similar sermon. It's got all the elements, all the bullet points. It hits all these things. The ruin of man, the ruin of Israel, the redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ, and the regeneration through the Holy Spirit. It's the whole package. This is a wonderful sermon to look at, the one that God gave Peter to preach there on that first Sunday of the church. Peter standing up with the eleven, that means there's 12 altogether. Matthias is referenced again in this as somebody selected to be the replacement for Judas. Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. They were in Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. It's nine in the morning. People aren't out there. That's not the way they would celebrate these high holy days. They wouldn't go out and get blasted, especially not for breakfast. Peter's saying, that's not what this is. Yes, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're exuberant. They're ecstatic. They're, they're just flowing joy. Of course they're happy at nine in the morning. Aren't you happy at nine in the morning? When you walk into work, hello, good morning, everybody. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Is that what you do when you go to work? Maybe some of your workmates would respond to you like this crowd responded to them. What's wrong with you? What do you mean what's wrong with me? I finally got right. Heed these words. They're not drunk, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay, and we're going to see here, fundamentally, as Peter gets up and preaches loud and bold in the power of the Holy Spirit, a couple things to make note of. For starters, and this is an allusion back to last week in the gifts of the Spirit, the speaking in tongues stopped. God does not interrupt himself. 
Now it's time for Peter to speak. Now it's time for the word to be brought forth. And those who had been speaking in tongues, the mighty works of God, they zipped it. And they paid attention to what God was speaking now through Peter. And he brings in uh, three different Old Testament passages. It's kind of like, now that we got a crowd, now that everybody's been paying attention, let's have a Bible study. Right? And I love that because this is what we're commanded to do. Paul, preaching to Timothy in his last words on earth, Paul to his, his son in the faith, Timothy, would say to him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead as his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready, in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves, teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to faith fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And that's what Peter's going to do now. He's going to preach the word. In season, out of season. This is the thing that changes lives. God's word. And we need to make sure that we're bringing that forth full strength. And so he's going to go through, the, and, it, and, it, and he's kind of like doing a Bible study. I've taught for many years in Bible colleges here in the States and in the Philippines. And one of the things we would teach all of our students was inductive Bible study. Inductive has to do with the idea of drawing out of the scriptures what the scriptures said versus deductive where you get a supposition, you have something, and you go to the Bible to see what agrees with you. In this case, inductive, it's like to induce. You induce a baby, right? You don't induce a baby to crawl into the womb. You induce the baby to come out. An inductive Bible study says the word is here and I'm trying to bring it out that we can all see it. And so we have a, a simple pattern that we follow, O-I-A, observation of the text, then interpretation of the text, and then application of the text. First, observe. Make sure you clearly understand what is being said, who, what, where, why, when, how. Don't get whatever your preconceived notions are. Just read it. In fact, read it 15 times till you know what it says, and you're, you're, you're clear on that, an observation. And then interpretation. Sometimes, especially with a book like the Bible that goes back thousands of years, you might need to interpret what is going on here, why are they doing what they're doing, you know, what cultural things, are there words here that I need to make sure I understand? Make sure your interpretation of what you're observing is correct, and then you move on to application. What does that have to do with me? Is this word just something that was said once upon a time and it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter to me? I need to figure out, what are you trying to say to me, God? And it's beautiful how Peter here in his first sermon brings out these three points through three Old Testament passages. He's going to do the observation of what happened out of Joel chapter 2. Verses 28 through 32. This is that. This is what Joel prophesied. What, what's going on? And he, gives, he, he observes. You guys are seeing all these people speaking in foreign languages. You don't understand it. This is an observation of what's going on. Joel told us all about that. And then he's going to go into how it happened. And he's going to read this out of Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, an interpretation of how did this happen. It happened through the death of burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he's going to finish up out of Psalm 110, verse 20, 21, why it happened so that Jesus Christ would be Lord of all. Lord of me, Lord of you, Lord of his church, Lord of all. And so it's a really wonderful outline. Let's get into it. Step one, the what. This is what was spoken by 
the prophet Joel. And, and he, then he starts quoting out of Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my maid servants and on, on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now this is explaining what these manifestations of the Holy Spirit are all about. This is something we've never seen. We've been coming to uh, Shavuot. We've been coming to the Feast of Pentecost our whole lives, and this never happened. What's this? Well, this is what Joel said was going to happen in the last days. And no doubt, Peter himself believed, and he was correct, that he lived in the last days. The days after Messiah came and atoned for the sins of Israel, of the world, of Peter, and then we enter into the church age, the age where the Holy Spirit indwells all those who call, call upon the Lord. And these last days, they last until the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ. And so, and, and I believe that's knocking on the door. I believe he's out there. Man, I'll, if you just open up, I'll come on in, right? He's ready. Um, so it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. We see so many references to this in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 36. I'll give you a new heart. I'll sprinkle it and clean it. In Jeremiah 31, 31, that I'm going to give you this new covenant, that it's going to be different and it's going to be with the Holy Ghost. And, and prophecy after prophecy in the Old Testament, here Peter has chosen Joel to say, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, all who would call upon the name of the Lord. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. We talked about this last week, just to be sure we're clear. Prophesying is speaking forth the word of God. That's what I'm doing right now. As I read the word of God, that is in effect prophesying. Prophesying, okay? It's not something weird or, or strange. There is an element of prophesying where you are not just speaking forth the word of God, but you could be foretelling what is going on. The Bible is 25% prophecy. And so even as I read this prophecy out of Joel, it's talking about what's still going to come in our future with the return of Jesus Christ. So in that effect, I'm prophesying both foretelling what's going on and foretelling because I'm telling what God said. This is going to happen. So don't think you're some kind of uh, going to a seance or somebody that reads your lines on your hand or crystal ball. That's not what it means. But it means you're telling the things that God has revealed. And so uh, that your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall, shall see dreams. All of a sudden, through the, through the grace of the Holy Spirit, you're going to start understanding what's going on. You're going to see clearly what's happening around the world, right? Like the blind man uh, that Jesus healed. And he said, I don't know what happened, but I know this. I once was blind, and now I see. I was touched by Jesus. I'm made whole, and now things are coming into focus. I understand what's going on. They'll see dreams. And my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, those days are kind of a bracket from this day, the day of Pentecost, until the second coming of Jesus Christ, okay, which carries all of the church age, the rapture, the tribulation, until his return at the end of the rapture. That's that bracket. We'll see it here in just a second. I'll, I'll point it out. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. You, 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 you. You're waiting for me to say, all of you, you can all prophesy. You've got the Holy Spirit. They shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome 
day of the Lord. Now, when you see that title, day of the Lord, in the Bible, it's a phrase that's a reference to the return of Jesus Christ, his second advent, when he comes to finish the judgment of the earth, okay? And the day of the Lord, as you look through it, if you're brand new to the Bible, you think, oh, I can't wait, that's so exciting, I want to be here at the day of the Lord. Actually, the day of the Lord is when Jesus finally judges everything, kaput, you know, and, and it's, it's an awful day, okay? And it even talks about signs in the heaven, and the moon turned to blood, and all these different things, stars falling from heaven. We read a lot about it in the book of Revelation, and it's the kind of thing you really want to be raptured out of here, <laughs> you know? And then when he comes, you want to see it from the horse that you're riding behind him, as Revelation 19 says that he's going to return and finish that judgment. But these are exciting times. So from verse 18b, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That's beginning right here, Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, fully come, until 20b, before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. Joel prophesies this whole season of time, this epic, this period of time. And it, and it's, and it covers more than 2,000 years, we know so far. Uh, but as we look at all the signs of the times, uh, there's nothing left scripturally, prophetically, that we need to have happen to fulfill prophecy before God calls His church to be with Him before he does that final judgment and shakes the world in an attempt to call Israel back to himself. And so when we see these wars, and real war, something that hasn't happened in decades, in over 50 years, they've been lobbing bombs, Hezbollah, Hamas, they've been doing this for a long time. But this is an invasion of Israel. And this, is, this has not happened since I was a kid. Okay, so this is something, who knows if this is that, but it's the kind of thing, are you ready? Given what's going on, are you ready? Because we know that when things happen, Jesus says it's going to happen rapidly. It's going to happen fast, okay? And so you better be ready because you may not have a chance. You might not get your news feed. Oh, Jesus came back. Huh, I missed that one. No, if you're, if you're born again, signed, sealed, and delivered in the Holy Spirit, you'll be in heaven, okay? But nevertheless, there are those that uh, really haven't unraveled that yet. It says in verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, this is a concept that we first saw introduced in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. And it's gone on through, God called Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And as we go on through the scriptures, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, whoever believes, or whoever, yeah, whoever believes that Jesus is their Lord, whoever confesses with their mouth that God has raised from, from the dead, they shall be saved all, and this is repeated again throughout the Bible, cover to cover, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on the Lord? Have you said, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're God, you're boss. You, you have purchased my life with your blood. You've paid my sin debt. I'm yours. And I believe just with the power that God raised you from the dead, I will be raised from the dead and I will be with you forever. If you've done that, then you're one of these all who call on the name of the Lord. And one of the things I want to introduce here, because I already mentioned just a minute ago how Paul, or I mean Peter, repeats over and over, men of Judah, men of Israel, right? Really talking to this crowd gathered for this Jewish feast, helping them understand their Jewish scriptures. Then when he says all who call on the name of the Lord, that includes not only the Jews, but the Gentiles, the Goyim, us, non-Jews, all, okay? And so this is something that Peter introduces right here. What Jesus did for the world is open to you and me, okay? So this is the first piece of it. We were ruined, but this, this what you're seeing here, 
This is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. He will pour out his spirit in the last days. It's available to you and to me and all who call on the name of the Lord. In verse 22, now he's going to use another uh, Old Testament passage out of Psalm 16, and we're going to see how this happened. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. And they knew. These people that were gathered there, these people who had heard the mighty rushing wind, saw the tongues of fire, they knew of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They knew of Jesus healing the blind and the crippled and bringing to life and, and the feeding of the 5,000 and, and miracle upon miracle upon miracle. It was well known. Everybody knew it. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles. God showed you, right? He, he cast out demons. He stilled the waters. You, you, you can see God has totally given him his credentials. Messiah, oh, Messiah better be a miracle worker. Oh, he is. Well, he better be a healer. Well, he is, right? And uh, attested by God to you by all these signs and wonders, uh, God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. Can't, you can't claim, I didn't know it. I didn't see it. I, I didn't know it. If you come into this room this morning and you're wondering about this thing called the church, about this group of people, the springs, about these Christians and what it is they believe, but you really haven't made your confession of faith, um, here you sit in the midst of lives, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of lives that have been redeemed. I once was lost, now I'm found. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm spirit-filled, right? I'm blood-bought, spirit-taught. I'm, I'm bound for heaven. And if you're sitting here and you haven't met a miracle of God yet, get up and start introducing yourself because there's a bunch of them here today. All of us, right? In your midst. <clears throat> As you yourselves know, Him, Jesus, being delivered by determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. In this one verse is that little argument that comes around if you study theology and all that of sovereignty versus free will. God being almighty and can do whatever he wants and always does whatever he wants versus man's agency and our ability to choose. And I love it as you go through the scriptures how over and over again we see that it's both. And for those of you that are staunch Calvinists, you're like, oh no, it's all, it's all God. And those of you that are staunch Ar Arminius, you're like, oh no, 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 God gives us the choice. And yet here in the scripture and over and over and over again, it's both. And the reason people get so wound up over it is they can't put both in their brain at the same time. How can God be totally sovereign and yet I get to choose? How can God be God Almighty, creator of the universe, totally in charge, and I can kill him? How does that work? How do I crucify him? I would enjoy, I would enjoin you, I would invite you to uh, just stop for a minute and consider this. If God, this is uh, something J.B. Phillips, uh, Bible translator and, and, and commentator, he, he's got this quote, but it, it fits so well. If God is so small that we can control him, that we can comprehend him, then he's too, too small to deserve our worship. What kind of God do you have? Is he sovereign that he can allow everything to happen according to his good pleasure and his will, and even within that, he can give you your good pleasure and your will, and it won't contradict his? This is how big God is, and that's when your mind just goes, and like, good, now you're getting close. This is what's called the fear of God. Keep going. You're, you're going in the right direction now. Him being delivered by determined purpose. God knew from the foundation of the world as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
created heavens and earth and, and the six days of creation and men and women in their image. He knew that he would go to the cross and die for us. It was foreordained in eternity before anything was spoken to being. Delivered by determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. Chuck Smith was at a big conference, a gathering of, of um, churches and uh, Jewish groups in Israel uh, a number of years back. And they got into this little business of who killed Jesus, right? And certain divisions within the uh, church, they were like, well, the Jews did it. Everybody knows the Jews did it, right? And then the Jews at this conference, guess what? They took offense. And it's like, but, but it says right here, and they're like, well, Pilate did it, you know, and now they're trying to blame the government. And this is going on at this conference where they're all supposed to actually be coming together. And they're arguing about this point. And Pastor Chuck humbly stood up, and when he had a chance to say, he goes, let me solve this for you. I know who it was. It was me. I killed Jesus. It's because of my sin that he went to the cross. It's because of our sin, my sin and your sin and Jews and Gentiles and governments and the whole world gone haywire. That's why he had to die. So can we move on now? Okay, that's kind of where Chuck Smith left it, okay? Um, have crucified and put to death. But can you imagine you're there at Shavuot, you're there for the feast, you're having a wonderful time. This is a time where we, we talk about God uh, you know, blessing Ruth and giving him the child. That in, and in that, it's so funny because they don't see that he's, she's like grandmother, great-grandmother of Jesus, right? And all this kind of stuff. But they're having this wonderful time. And Peter gets up and he says, you guys killed him. You're a bunch of murderers, right? How, how would you like it if I said that to you this morning in church? You're, you're all a bunch of murderers. Well, if you've been paying attention, I already did that. Verse 24, whom God raised up. Again, it's God, always was, always will be. God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Okay, and so here we see, Peter kind of explains, this is what's going on. This is how it happened through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the vehicle, that's the mechanism by which you are saved, by which Messiah delivers you. This is that Jesus that you crucified and put in the grave. He's the one that came out of the grave and that bought you your salvation, your, your regeneration, right, in, in all of that. Whom God raised up and loosed from the pains. And actually, the word there, the phrase in the original Greek is pangs. So P-A-N-G-S pangs of death. And pangs are convulsions. They're like birth pangs when a mom is about to give birth to the child. And, and God says, this is something that, man, you killed him, you put him in the grave, you started it, you induced it, but these pangs can't keep him in the grave. He's coming out. And this is exactly what happened. Um, you could say that the tomb was his womb. This is what brought him back to life, as it is for you and I. When we die to ourselves, we are born again to Christ. That's our new birth. That's our second birth. And, and Peter's explaining this all to them. Verse 25, uh, going on into the how. For David says concerning him, and this is Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. That's kind of who you think of David, right? He's a man whose heart is bent on God. He's not a perfect man. In fact, he's got a lot of issues. But in the midst of all that, he constantly sought after God. I foresaw the Lord before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. 
this idea of resting in hope, the idea that even though I go to the grave, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't scare me. I'm not worried about it because, and this is what he's going to make the point of, my flesh shall rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Hades. Hades is the Greek word. Sheol is the Hebrew word used throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament for the place of the departed. Now, in the Old Testament theology, this was also known as Abraham's bosom, the place where those souls went to await their Messiah, to wait the call to heaven, to be reunited with God, that, that waiting place. But it's also the place where those who are uh, damned, those who have rejected God, those who have not accepted His work on their behalf, that's where they wait until the end of the tribulation and until the end of the millennial reign, and they'll be raised to judgment and cast to the lake of fire. So David says, I don't have to worry about no lake of fire, okay? You're not going to leave my soul in Hades. Well, then what's he going to do with it? He says, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption, death, right? This is what happens to bodies. They're corrupted. And, and, and he says, but you're not going to allow me to stay in Hades, nor will you leave your Holy One or allow him to see corruption. Who do you think the Holy One is that David is talking about? This is talking about Messiah. This is talking about the promised one, the deliverer of, of Israel. You won't let him die and stay dead. He will not be corrupted. David spoke these words a thousand years prior to Peter speaking them right now. All the Jews knew them. It was common knowledge. Psalm 16, verse 28, You have made known to me the ways of life. And in this it's exciting, everlasting life. Not only this life, but the life to come. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Woohoo! <laughs> I, I, this is fantastic. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's a wonderful chapter on the resurrection, and we can go into great detail about it, but just let me finish off the, the last part of it here. In verse 51 of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's a word for being dead, okay? Uh, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Some will die, some won't. Some will be here when we're called to heaven directly, but many will be asleep in the grave. Verse 52, we will be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. We win. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that we've been delivered from sin and death. And so here, as David writes, you will make me full of joy in your presence. This is how it works. Through the resurrection of the Holy One, of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, not staying dead, but coming back to life, as prophesied by David in the psalm, as prophesied by Joel, now these people that you see here this morning, they're full of joy. Woohoo! Okay? They're dancing, they're singing, they're praising God. This is what that is, and that's how it works. When you're born again, you're born of the Spirit of God. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness. And it goes on. But this is what a born again person would look like. This is what an on fire Christian looks like. They're full of joy in, the, in his presence. That's what J Peter is explaining. 
Verse 29, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. Let me talk to you just for a minute about David, okay? You all know him, you respect him, you revere him, the great King David. Let me talk to you about him. That, he's both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, okay? So as Peter spoke, he could point to David's tomb there in the, the city of David, part of the city of Jerusalem. Um, in my visit there, we went to a place they call David's tomb. Don't know if that's actually the right one, but even to this day, they will say that's David's in there or what's left of David's in there, right? And they would say that. So, okay, let me speak freely to you. David, King David, right? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, King David. He's dead, okay? He's buried. This is the guy I just quoted, and he said, I'm not going to stay buried, Okay, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor his flesh would see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. You saw it. I saw it, Mary Magdalene saw it, the apostles saw it, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus saw it, over 500 people are here today, and they saw, we all saw Jesus. We saw the prince in his hand, the wound in his side, he's real, we felt him, we touched him, we had lunch with him, he's here, he rose from the dead. This Jesus God raised up, of which you are all witnesses, verse 33, therefore, okay, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. This is from, Jesus declared this so many different times. In uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 7, he's at the Feast of uh, um, Tabernacles. And at the end of the feast, the great day of the feast, he stands up and he says, oh, any of you who thirst, come to me and drink. And, and you who have believed in me, as the scriptures has said, out of your heart will flow, spring forth rivers of living water. And then John puts a parenthetical in there, but it just hadn't happened yet when Jesus spoke it. It had to wait for his resurrection. And then the Holy Spirit would be given to all people. It would not only be alongside us, it would not be just in us, but it would just be flowing out of us. And this is what we see happening here. He poured out this which you now see and hear. Verse 34, as we move on through the why, okay? The what of what happened with Pentecost, the how of what it happened through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And now the why. Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, so David didn't go to heaven. We didn't watch him like, like, Elijah go up in a chariot of fire or something like that. David didn't ascend into heaven, but he says, and this is a quote out of Psalm 110, the Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, my Adonai, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Okay, one of the most quoted phrases out of the Old Testament, out of the Psalms, in the New Testament, over and over and over again, it makes the point that even David recognized that his descendants, as promised, would reign on the throne of Israel, that Messiah would come from the loins of David, and one of his offspring, somewhere up in the future, would be the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, the Holy One, okay? And David didn't go into heaven, but he says, the Lord said to my Lord, and my Lord has to be my boss, the one who I confess as ruler of my life, whoever that is. In this case, David is calling his offspring his Lord because his offspring is Jesus. And David recognizes him. Even a thousand years earlier, he recognized that. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Thir verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel, again, all of you that should have known, all of you that have been to synagogue your whole life, all of you that had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the priests and all of you that had advantage of the Old Testament, your inheritors of all the promises of God, all of you guys that have all of this, let it be known. 
Know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is the main point of Peter's sermon, and it's the main point of Christianity. It's the main point of who I am and who you are and what we do, all of our hope, all of our promises, all of our debt forgiven, all of our shame erased. This is the heart of it right here. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He lives. You ask me how I know he lives? Because he lives in me. Amen. How many of you can say amen? amen? Most of you can say amen. Yeah, amen, right? This is the heart. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. <gasps> Oops. What did we do? The Messiah, who we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for, he's supposed to deliver us, get rid of Pilate, get rid of the Romans, make us in charge, restore us to our glory. Oh, we killed him. What were we thinking? But not only that, I'm dead in my sin. There's no hope for me. There's no way to go to heaven anymore. I have crucified Christ. I canceled Christ. And this is a sad place for many people in the world who reject Jesus Christ. There is no other name by which men can be saved. There is no other way to the Father but by Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Yes, this is narrow. The Bible teaches broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there are that are on it. Narrow is the way and difficult that leads to life. And there are few that find it. But here this morning, you've seen the way the truth, the life. Jesus is the Christ. He's our Lord. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then what, given, given the situation, given the predicament that we're in, we crucified Christ. Now he's been resurrected and he's ascended to heaven. What are we going to do? What's the, what's the response to this? And this is the application this is that third piece. Peter's bringing application. He says, then Peter said, repent. This is the first thing that Jesus said. If you read in the Gospel of Mark, when he went out ministering at age 30, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what John the Baptist said. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what Peter says. Repent. Turn around. Metanoia is the Greek word, and it means to change your way of thinking. It really means to change your worldview. You've been looking and going after the world and the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You've got to change that thinking. You've got to start looking to the kingdom of God. You've got to start looking to Christ. You need to turn from your old ways, your old life. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and start following Him. Repent, He says, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what you do. Repent and get baptized. Now, we've had a number of baptisms and trying to see if we can squeeze one more in before the river freezes over. Um, so if any, no, well, the water doesn't get cold, okay? It's the air that gets cold. The water stays pretty much the same for another month. But um, we're, we've got a couple people already that have come forward and they want to get baptized. So we'll have at least one more coming on here. But it says, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. In my new King James Version of the English translation, I, I like it better, and you can translate it this way. Uh, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus because of the forgiveness of sins. And that for or because, uh, the, the translation because of, because you don't get baptized and that washes your sins away that just gets you wet okay you, it, it might if you're dirty it might clean up the outside but if you get baptized because of the remission of sins what you're doing is publicly declaring 
I have been washed from the inside out. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me from my sins and forgiven me my debt. And I am clean inside. And so I baptize as a demonstration publicly that I now identify with Jesus Christ. I am a child of God. I'm born again. I'm going to heaven. I want the whole world to see it. So I go through baptism. Now, baptism was a procedure that the Jews would do fundamentally for proselytes, people that weren't Jewish, that converted to Judaism. And then in the Bible, you refer to these people, you hear them called God-fearers. They still want to call them Jews because they didn't have Jewish blood, but they got to at least be known as God-fearers, and they could go into the temple, and they could go to um, synagogue, and they were considered amongst those. But this business of being baptized uh, is very much like we are baptized, where you're dunked underwater, immersed, baptizo, you go under the water and come out. In fact, right there on the temple, on the southern steps, you can go there today, it's very cool, these steps that Jesus and the disciples would have come up and down so many times, you can sit on them, walk on them, touch them, but right there are several mikvahs, okay, which is a ceremonial washing area, and what it is, it's, it's, a, a it's something carved out of the marble steps, and there's steps that go down into the water, and then steps that come up out of the water. So you go in one side, and you come out the other side. You go in, a heathen, you come out, uh, God-fearer, right? Or for us, we buried in baptism, die to ourselves, we go under the water like the grave, and then we come out of the water like the resurrection. But again, this is because of the remission of sins. Because my sins are forgiven, I want to tell the whole world. I want to make a public declaration. I'm going to go bring all my friends and say, look at me. I once was lost, now I'm found. I, that old man has been buried, he's long gone, and it's a new creature in Christ. And so this is what he says you do. This is what you do. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian without the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's what changes you from the inside out. That's what helps you follow Him. It says, verse 39, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God will call. And in fact, isn't that amazing? That's for us. All these many years later, it's still in effect. That, that gift of the Holy Spirit for all who would call upon Him. Um, it says in verse 40, and with many other words. So we don't have the full transcript of this sermon, okay? And this isn't the only sermon that Peter would preach. A number of them, like I said, the one in Antioch, Pisidia, but many recorded through the book of Acts. And then Peter, as he writes First and Second Peter, and the other apostles and the writings of the apostles. We have many other words. Here Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation, this crooked generation, this warped generation, um, twisted. They, they've got the Word of God. They've got the testimony of God. They've got the witness of God. They've got the miracles of God. They just don't have God. They've got it all but Jesus. It says, be saved from this generation. They're chasing after signs and wonders. They think they know Him. You search the Scriptures, for in them you believe you have everlasting life. But these are they which speak of me, Jesus would say. Yeah, you might memorize the Bible. You might go to church. You might do all these wonderful things. But do you have Jesus? That's the heart of it. A real relationship where you call on Jesus. With many other words, be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41, then those who gladly received, they weren't coerced. It wasn't peer pressure. They didn't do it because it was the cool thing to do. In fact, it wasn't really cool to do it. Pretty much society wasn't thinking, oh, that's the smartest thing you ever did, becoming a Christian. That generally, any, well, you're giggling, right? Because that's not what your friends tell you. But they gladly received his word and were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Man, I'd love to be on those southern steps and just watch soul after soul after soul go down through that water. This summer, I don't know how many baptisms we've had or how many people have been baptized. I've lost count. But, and it's still going on. There's still opportunity for that. So 3,000 souls were added to them. They started that morning with 120. Now there are 3,000 
120, right? Talk about church growth, right? And how did it happen? A Bible study. You know, people think it's got to be some kind of fantastic thing. It's the Word of God. Always has been, always will be. The more sure word, Peter would say. They gladly received 3,000 were added, verse 42. And this is the church, one of the church's verses. If you come to the Springs Calvary Chapel, this is our blueprint. This is our pattern. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. They continued. They didn't just do this one-time profession of faith. Woohoo! I got baptized. Now I'm going back to my old life. No, they continued steadfastly with each other. It says in the apostles' doctrine. That doctrine, word for doctrine is teaching. In the teaching of the apostles. And we have that. You have it. It's on your lap. It's called your Bible. Okay? And this is the apostles' doctrine. And, and, and we look at that for all issues dealing with how we should live on this earth. God has left behind a record if for everything we need to know to get to heaven. And so they would continue studying that. That would be like the Bereans, just searching the word eagerly and, and making sure that they understood what was going on so they wouldn't be shaken or, or uh, deceived. So they continued in the word. And fellowship, that's the Greek word koinonia. And uh, we use that for the hall down the way. That's fellowship is what the word is, fellowship. The word koine in Greek is the word for a common language or dialect, but I like to think of it in the ideas of a coin, heads and tails. It's a whole package. It's just fellowship, being one with another. If you are a part of the Springs Calvary Chapel, that means you identify everybody in this room as your brother and sister in Christ. This is our fellowship. This is who we are. We're a little bit different. Yeah, somebody's salt, somebody's pepper, there's paprika. And I don't know how that guy got in, but he's part of it. <laughs> it's fellowship. We share. We have things in common. We have a common faith, a common Lord, a common confession, a common baptism. We all have one fellowship. And the breaking of bread, communion, coming together, the body broken for us, the bread or the blood shed for us, remembering the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ until his return, that it's paid in full. And they would continue recognizing and doing these things and in prayers, continually in communion with God, talking to God, listening to God. I always encourage people, God has given you one mouth and two ears. And I think that's because when you pray, he wants you to do less talking and more listening, right? And we also, sometimes we think, I prayed, I said my prayer. Did you, did you listen your prayer? What do you mean did I listen my prayer? That's part of it, right? Why would you talk to God and then walk away without an answer? Listen, okay? They continued in sound word, in, in uh, koinonia, and fellowship, and communion, and prayer, and fear came upon every soul. This is holy fear. This is pure fear. This is good fear. This is right and reverent fear. We read in Proverbs chapter 9 at verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So without it, you ain't wise. The fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. <gasps> oh, it's about Jesus. He's the way, he's the life, he's the truth, he's the answer. You, rec you respect God. I'm not God, but I'm accountable to God, and he's given me his son. And this fear of God and knowledge of Jesus, that's the beginning. For by me your days will be multiplied, God says, and the years of life will be added to you. And so fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And we see that recorded now through the balance of the book of Acts. And I will say there are miracles amongst other gifts of the Holy Spirit that still happen today in the body of Christ. But it comes from a humble soul. It comes from an empty soul where the Holy Spirit has room to work. If you're proud and filled up with yourself and think, man, that's it, man, I'm, a, I'm an on-fire Christian, I've got it all. 
you, you, need to, you need to back up a bit, right, if you really want to see these things happen. Verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, this verse has been used to preach communism, okay? This political, economic, uh, social construct where everybody shares everything equally. You all will get a pie, and however many people there are, we cut the pie in that many pieces. This is not communism. For starters, it's not compulsory. You don't have to do it. In communism, you share at the point of a gun. Okay, this is not that. You do it because of the love of Christ. You see a brother in need, you help him. And that's just the gift, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so naturally, if you see, it says, and they sold their positions, or really they would sell. They weren't required to, as we'll see in chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira, there were some gifts being given to the church, but they had to be given for the right reasons. You didn't do it out of peer pressure or try to get your uh, name magnified in the church as a great, generous person, but you would give it because of love. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them or dispersed them among all as anyone had need. And, and take a look at that word need and see if you can understand what the difference between need and want is. God doesn't give us all that we want. He gives us all that we need, okay? And what you really need is Jesus. And if you've got Jesus, if you've got Jesus, what more do you need? Right? I mean, if you, get the, if you get that fear of God and knowledge of the Holy One, the cart before the horse, it starts working out pretty good. Okay? So, continuing daily with one accord, all going in the same direction, all grouped up in love, it, continuing daily in the temple. So, that's where they started meeting. They're on the temple grounds and breaking bread from house to house. So, they also met home to home, like our small fellowships. This is an integral part of any vital church. If a church is really alive and active and growing, it's going to have a lot of fellowship from house to house. And people just inviting somebody over for dinner. Hey, let's get to know each other. Or, hey, I heard you have a ministry. Could you explain more about it to me? And there's a lot that goes on. Sunday morning is our corporate gathering where we open up the door and we invite visitors to come in and meet Jesus, right? And you can do that on any other meeting. But we have so many where they're individual. And it's just a dozen of you. And you go through a book of the scriptures, you read, you pray, you do life together, and that's where you really start growing. That's where you blossom as a Christian, when you really get in there mono e mono, face-to-face with people, and you do life together. And this is what they were doing. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There's your church growth model right there, right? George Barna does all kinds of surveys on the church and the state of the church and church growth. And there's so many church growth books out there. I, I've seen bazillions of them. And from the day that I was a baby Christian, all I knew was to read the word, to get together with brothers and sisters, to do life together, to break bread together and to pray. And through my life, the testimony is, Every time we would do this, the Bible studies would grow and churches would be born and ministries would be born and God would just take it. All we had to do was look to God and He would be the one to grow the church as He chooses. Amen? Father, I want to thank You for Peter and uh, his boldness to proclaim the Word, to help us to see, Lord, You alive, You working in the church. Your gifts manifest there on the day of Pentecost, not just the gift of tongues, but especially the gift of prophecy, and yet also the gift of faith, Lord, and the gift of generosity, the gift of healing, and, and gifts just, just overflowing in the body. I thank you that you've given us a body, and you've endued us with power, that as we go out into the world and share, whether it's in the Sunday school right now, praying for those little souls and those teachers who are loving on them, for those who are get together for a little coffee in a couple minutes in the Koinonia Hall, praying for us as we go back out into the world, into the workplace, and, and amongst friends and family, Lord. 
that, that you would just allow us to carry that hope and joy with us, that we would be infectious, that we would be overflowing with your love, your light, your life, and that others could come to know you the way we have come to know you, according to your name, Jesus. Amen? So today we just uh, ask now, as you dismiss us, that we would go into this week and see what wonderful things you have in store in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.